Hey, I'm Bob Runkle, and for as long as I can remember, I've loved pop culture. Despite the challenges I've faced in my life, pop culture has always been there for me. I love talking to people and being a platform for others to share their thoughts stories. Because if there's one thing I never get tired of, it's being driven, talented, and inspiring individuals follow their dreams, no matter what obstacles are in their way. And I know a thing or two about that. Welcome to the DJ Bob Show. I'm DJ Bob. Roll it. I'm so thrilled to welcome new friend of the show, Alex Deneen. We talk a lot about her career in puppetry, diversity and inclusion within the series she's worked on, and so much more. She's worked on The Dark Crystal, various Muppet projects, and one of my guilty pleasures, The Country Bears, among other things. This is a wonderful chat. And I made a new friend in this episode. It really shows. I say that a lot, but I really mean it. Take a listen. To start things off, could you kind of introduce yourself, who you are, what you've done, kind of give a little bit of an elevator pitch of the crazy career you've had? Okay. My name is Alice Deneen, and... I have had uh, over 30 years now as a professional puppeteer. I uh, started at the Center for Puppetry Arts doing their internship program. Um, That was the first thing I did after I graduated from college. I graduated in uh, 1991 from Oberlin College. And and I was just going to do it for fun and uh, because it was something I'd always loved and was interested in, but I didn't think it was a career. So that was my little graduation gift to myself was going to be to go down there and have some fun. I was especially interested in the museum they had. Um, and, uh, as well as, you know, all the just learning and performance opportunities. And I just, I just thought it would be really, really fun. And it really, really was. And then I was going to figure out what I was going to do after that. But, um, almost right away, I met a number of enthusiastic, uh, puppeteers my own age and and a little older um, including Peter all of whom were planning on making a career out of this so I thought well okay maybe it is something that you can do and um, I did my internship and some personal projects at the Center for Puppetry Arts and then they had an opening in their main stage company so I did that for a year and um, and then just at that time um, Sesame Street did the first of their kind of diversity initiatives. Um, They're in the middle of another big round of that now, but um, in 1993, I guess it was, um, they were really looking for specifically to add some women to the roster. And um, so I went to a big group audition and it went from, it was one of those dreadful things where you start out on the first day and then they cut and they cut and they cut and all the way. So we'll start out on Monday with 400 people. And on Friday it was down to eight. And um, 
and I think of those eight, two of us are still working for for the company, um, myself and Stephanie DeBruzzo. And um, so uh, right after, yes, right after some training time at Sesame, I worked in Los Angeles on Puzzle Place and then on a variety of kids' shows here and there, both for, you know, Sesame and Muppet Sense and stuff and and outside of that. And um, I'd say my, you know, my my most my most favorite group to work with outside of Henson and Muppets is Spiffy Pictures in Chicago. And I did Jack's Big Music Show with them in Chicago and Bunnytown in London. And um, my favorite project with the Henson Muppets group is uh, I got to do the Dark Crystal also in London. Um, and that was really, really exciting because I've always loved the creature shop and the animatronic stuff and the very detailed, meticulous work of that really, really appeals to me. And um, and then, uh, you know, I love I love being able to work with Peter and those guys on Muppet stuff. And I um, I wound up last summer on the whole Muppets Mayhem series with them. I love that and, show so much. Uh, it was so fun to make. So fun. And... Um, Really, uh, I, I feel very lucky um, that I have not wound up working for just one or two shows or organizations, but I feel like I've cast a really wide net and that. Um, and different types of shows, too. You're not yeah. just in the preschool bubble or the fancy bubble. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and some of it. Some of it I'm not super proud of, like um, the fourth and fifth seasons of Crank Anchors got pretty raunchy. The um, the, the sixth season came back a little bit to a kinder, gentler place because it was a different era of comedy. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and there have been a few things, um, you know, Eminem video and so on that are that are a little bit outside of what I would ordinarily choose to do because it's a little risque. Yeah. But, um, I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, it's, it's always fun. And, and I love working with, you know, it's not like you go into a room full of strangers. These are all people I know and care about and trust. The and, circle um, is so small. It's so small. Uh-huh. Everybody yeah. knows each other. Even me not being a puppeteer and just um, an admirer. I can't. The only reason why I'm not a puppeteer is because of my physical limitations, being in a wheelchair mm. and all that stuff. But now with technology, there could be ways for me to do it with like the the Henkin digital. But there, there are many ways to do things now. So I wouldn't rule that out completely. Well, and you've you know everyone has everyone has their different abilities you you found a way to be involved and bring people together with uh with this kind of work you're doing right now which is so great so what is something that you wish you knew when you started working in television puppetry specifically well um i wish that i'd known um, how important it is to just really continue to go back and study the basics of acting over and over and over because you, um, I think uh, you 
you know, you have a, I did acting in high school and college and, um, and then, you know, you get a sort of a baseline of skills and then you layer the puppet stuff on top of that. And it's kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an extra challenge. And when you're focusing on the manipulation and voices and cameras and all the physical limitations and sometimes physical pain of, of doing it, um, you need to, you know, you need to be able to rely on just sort of automatic um, acting experience and acting skills. And I wish I'd done more work as a human actor um, or, or at least, you know, more classes to just get more of a variety of experience. I feel like because people, people don't connect the two and two together. You're just right. act, you're acting. Yes. Like people think because there's a puppet there, it's like some different thing. It's not. Animators are actors too. They just do it very slowly, frame by frame. Puppeteers are actors. We're just doing it. You know, we're, we're, driving it through something else and um, being able to express emotion is, you know, it's the name of the game and, and also to not just express emotion, but also find surprising or unusual ways of saying or doing something that reveals, you know, that's consistent with a character. And um, that is, that's something that our friend and mentor Bill Veretta really emphasizes whenever he's teaching. Um, and he has people do acting exercises without puppets on. And, um, and I love watching that Bill's the best. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people do come to puppetry through acting, um, and, or through improv. Um, but there are some of us, I uh, count myself among this number and certainly Peter is as well, who really, wanted to be puppeteers first and came to it through that. Um, and then, um, so we may not have had the depth of classical training and stage experience that, that some of the actors or improvisers do. So everyone is coming to it with their strengths. Um, and I think that those of us who come to it as puppeteers first are often hyper-focused on, on the specifics of manipulation and are really, really, um, to nail that. And I think that I will always be working on, you know, the acting and vocal sides of things as well. Although coincidentally or not, a lot of my, a lot of my work has wound up being, um, you know, I already knew going into it that it was going to, that I was going to have my voice replaced or their lip sync shows because they're using, um, you know, the stand up comedians on crank anchors or the little children on slumberkins or, um, they wanted celebrities on Dark Crystal, um, so they looped us over after. And there are many, many times that I know that my voice is going to be replaced anyway, and so I'm driving all of my acting through the manipulation. And that's kind of a fun challenge. Um, you know, I'm still often laying down a track, a, a vocal guide track, but I don't actually have to worry about, the about um, you know, like in Dark Crystal, I didn't have to worry about doing an accent or anything like that. Yeah. They, they sort of laid a mid Atlantic toward slightly more British feel on top of all of those, even though they had actors from all over the place, they really were trying to narrow them in on a very specific um, type of kind of that, kind of that standard fantasy accent, you know? And um, I didn't have to worry about it. And that was nice uh, because I was really able to drive, you know, I put all the emotion into the acting, but I sounded like a, 
you know, sounded like a, a California lady and it didn't matter. And that was kind of freeing and nice. That let me put all of my focus and attention into uh, into the manipulation. Well, I'm going to surprise you right now and tell you that my absolute favorite project that you've worked on is fairly recently now, and it's yeah. Turkey Hollow. Oh, that was great. I watched it. Every yes. Um, tell me what you like about it. I just. You don't get Thanksgiving stories. You don't. True. Mm-hmm. And this was such a left of center plot-wise. I mean, of course, this this idea had been locked away for decades. But to get a Thanksgiving production that is so nuanced and is so... It's about these creatures, but it's got so much heart in it as well. And it's something that you can go back to every year. There's no timestamp on it. There's no dated references. It's just evergreen. The puppetry's amazing. Kirk mm. was amazing at directing all of you. And it's one of my favorite things. I'm so glad that you like it. That one stays pretty far off of most people's radar. So I'm really pleased to hear you mention it because I had a wonderful experience doing that. It was terrific. And you had such a good team on that. You had Gord and you had... Um... Yeah, Rob Mills, Jason Hopley. And um, and I got to... Uh, I got to kind of be the boss and, and and coordinate all the puppet stuff. So that was um that was the first time I'd gotten to do that. And um I really, really enjoyed it. It didn't hurt that um the cast was very small and that they were all Canadians. Canadians are ridiculously nice. Um but uh but there was still I I I, I had to manage, you know, several rounds of emotions and hurt feelings and so on with some of our assistant and backup puppeteers who felt like they didn't get to do stuff they wanted to do. And, you know, it was, uh, it was a little, you know, I, I, I learned, I learned a lot. And, I want, um, I wanted a sequel, but I know that probably will never happen given what it was, but it was so good. Oh, I'm so glad that you liked it. Well, that's, that's another example of something where, all like 100% of the acting is nonverbal. Um, and that's, I mean, they really were, I mean, the people at the producers at Henson know me and they, they, they play me to my strengths. And that was, that was really one of those times. Um, and I, I really appreciated that, that opportunity to make um, an intelligent nonverbal creature come to, come to life. I love the scene where the little boy, is um you know puts up the hand and and is exploring and realizing that this isn't <clears throat> this isn't a threat this isn't dangerous but but there's something very unusual happening that's that's my favorite scene yeah your kid cast was amazing yeah yeah I, I love and you how many months did you spend in canada for that oh it was not long at all we shot for one month and a lot of that was humans only. Um, and, uh, you know, actual puppet shoot days, I think there were 12. 
And then we had some rehearsal days. We had about, a, I think we had six full rehearsal days as well. I remember there was so much buildup for the premiere of it. And people were so excited about it as we tried. And because, like I said, there isn't enough Thanksgiving content. And this is just a cute, sweet little gem that I just think people should indulge in more. And it's on Disney Plus, so you should watch it. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just. I'm so glad that that you that you are so appreciative of it. Yeah, I think that um. I think more little short format one-off creature shop standalone projects like that um, would, I mean, I'd love to do more of those. They're just, they're small in scale. It was, I don't think it was a huge budget because, um, you know, Vancouver gives so many tax breaks and it was a very small cast. And, um, you know, we had one couple big stars, but, but I think they, you know, I think they just wanted to do it. And um, you know, I, I just say I'd love to uh I'd love to see more of that kind of thing start coming out of the creature shop. Yeah, you don't get asked about it much or nobody talks about it, so I wanted to kind of shed a light on it because I love it so much. Well, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, one of my very favorites is um Emma Daughter. And uh, you know, just those small stories, the little short ones that don't have to be turned into big movies or series or anything. They just you don't need spectacle. You just yeah. need real. Yep. Yep. Like those little those little projects. And it seems, you know, I I it's it seems like just a nice way to tell a story. And it seems in the age of streaming that there may be more um opportunities for that in the future, just for little things. I hope so. So You've you've worked on Sesame Street and you've worked on puzzle plays and things like that. So, what are mm-hmm. the most what is it what is the most challenging part about puppeteering on a show that is heavily based in curriculum? Uh, you ask very interesting and rich questions. Um, I think that uh, curriculum heavy is it's one thing if it's letters and numbers, and um, honestly, I'd love to see more of that in preschool TV. Uh, and it's another thing if it's pro-social values, um, because it's, it's hard to be preachy, you know, with letters and numbers. It's hard to feel like you need to avoid um, kind of heavy handing, heavy handed kind of virtue signaling. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the things on puzzle place were so direct, you know, they had the, they had the children, the puppet puppet kids, um, really hurt one another's feelings sometimes, and really um, make mistakes uh, that they then had to talk about and work out and work through. And I think that was a bold choice on the producer's part. Um, and uh, and it was, but but it was you know it was a little a little more a little more difficult to do because um, you know you don't want. You, you don't want to traumatize your audience too much. And if, if, you know, little, little kids don't like, really don't like conflict between characters that they, that they care about, you know, they don't, they emphasize so much. They don't want some, you know, I mean, hurt feelings and are, are, are hard for little bitties to watch. But at the same time, if you're trying to teach those, you know, 
this kind of pro-social values and you want conflict in a story, uh, you know, it's just, it seems like a very fine balancing line. You certainly don't want to teach bias to kids who don't see it or understand it or think about it yet. And, uh, and yet you want to set up these, you know, you want to acknowledge some of the problems that are out there in the world. I, I, I just, I, you know, I'm not a writer for those things. And I'm, I suppose that's where the real core of those issues comes from, but just, just playing it, you want to choose the right amount of hurt feelings. You know, I mean, there was, I was just talking to Peter yesterday about a Goldilocks and baby bear bit on Sesame um, where, you know, baby bear is always annoyed by her and she's always messing with his stuff and always breaking his, his stuff. And, and I was doing Goldilocks at that time. I don't anymore, but um there was one bit where where he, you know, baby bear pushes back so hard. He says, "You're just annoying. You drive me crazy. I just go away. Just stop." And he genuinely hurts her feelings. And um, and you know, and she isn't able to brush it off, and she isn't able to to uh, to just say, "Oh, that's that's just that's just my." friend baby bear he's just like that you know she actually does need to step away and take a minute yeah, and everything is wrapped in a giant bow at the end right like life you know yeah like life like life yeah and um so i mean i love that i grew up with that uh cartoony Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes, and even, you know, early Henson stuff where there's a lot of physically violent stuff, things exploding and, um, you know, falling off of cliffs and, 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 and one character eating another and, and all that. And that has, that has come off of television and preschool TV. You don't see it anymore. Um, even though you do see it in, children's books that are being published and illustrated these days. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's an important, it's acknowledged academically as an important part of childhood to have a little bit of threat and fear and violence. But it seems like, um, you know, fairy tales are out, but some of the pro-social and emotional difficult stuff is in, um, you know, as a, as a, if I were a writer or a show creator, I would be really stumped at this point in sort of social history about what direction to go with those things. Um, but I'm not. So instead, I just, you know, when it comes to acting choices, you choose how how hurt to be, how threatened you are, how upset you can get without upsetting your audience, how to, how to you know, express real feelings because that's what you're trying to teach is feelings. And so you can't fake it. You know, it's interesting. We talk about Puzzle Place. Puzzle Place was one of the first times I saw somebody like myself in a wheelchair on TV with Kyle. Ooh, yeah. But the problem with that was it wasn't until a matter of year, a number of years that I saw it again in a couple animated shows. So when we have there are little peaks and valleys and when we have a big peak in the disability inclusion world it kind of gets taken away from us and I feel mm. like there needs to be more inclusion within these spaces aside from Sesame Street and other places which does it beautifully 
Yes, we there was of course there was little Tara on Sesame Street. She was around for a long time. I love her. She? She's a dear friend. Oh, okay. Oh, how's she doing? She is doing good. She is hey. she's starting she's starting a podcast now and I'm helping out with that. And oh, that's great. I haven't seen her since she was a little girl, but we were on set together a lot. I'm sure she doesn't remember me, but Oh, she um, remembers a lot. Yeah. She remembers uh, pretty because that was such a big part of her life. She was there for eight years. Okay. So Well, I'm trying to I'm trying to think in the case of that character on Glee, um, he was that wasn't um that wasn't his actual No, it wasn't. No. That wasn't his real life, was it? When I was younger and I saw that character, I'd be like, yeah, there's finally someone like me. But then I look into it, it's like, you could have, it's not that hard to find mm-hmm. a disabled actor. Right. You just got to really look in the right places. Do you think they would do that today? No. No, I don't think they would. And either. in fact, the guy that played him, Kevin, said that he wouldn't take the role now. Right, right. Well, I wouldn't take the role of Julie Wu now. Yeah. We don't do it anymore. We just don't. But but it was completely okay until until recently. So, you know, some of this pro-social and just talking about it and putting it out there stuff is, is uh is it's sinking in. It's having an effect and it's it's creating real change and more opportunity for, for more kinds of people. So I I um you know, I will certainly continue to support that um, in any way that I can, which is basically, basically only two ways, by not taking roles that are not appropriate to take and also by, you know, teaching as wide a variety of people as I can when I do get to teach, which I really enjoy doing. So when we talk about, like, we're going to talk a little more about Puzzle Place, see, because it's such an interesting production it was it was produced by the folks that produced reading rainbow and yes. it was in response to the riots and rodney king and all that stuff so it was very forward thinking for its time do, do you think it would still hold up um well first of all you've done your homework wow um it was it was a it was a direct response by Southern California Edison. They gave a grant to help the next generation not have a Rodney King riot. Um, that didn't work out terribly well, but um, their heart was in the right place. Um, do I think it holds up? Uh, yeah, it's something, some That's of it. tricky. Yeah, yeah, because... I would say some episodes do and some would not at all. It's some you would not want to show even now. Um, and, uh, and I think that, um, you know, I think it was a link in a chain um, that went from not having any, any acknowledgement or inclusion of diversity at all. I mean, we were taught, as kids in the seventies, early seventies, um, you know, through public service announcements and, and um, direct instruction from, you know, people on TV, on PBS shows that, and from our parents and just from modeling around that it was rude to acknowledge any difference. You just didn't, 
want to mention it. You didn't want to discuss it. You wanted to pretend that everybody was exactly the same, no matter what, all the time. And so when we did start doing that show in the early 90s, um, it was uncomfortable for me because I'd, I'd been taught that that was rude to point out that somebody was different. And now it's important to to, to acknowledge and um, celebrate difference where you can and acknowledge the difficulties of difference where that's necessary. And, you know, it's, it's, but it's, it's really important to make that a part of social interactions now. And um, so it was, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting generational difference. Um, And, uh, and one that, you know, I had to get over a feeling that I was, just doing something unacceptably rude, you know, it's like talking about race was like talking about, you know, money or religion or saying, you know, that was, that was, that was private. You don't, you know, you, yeah, don't, you, don't, yeah. you, don't, you don't dig into that. So, um, anyway, time's change. It's it really, it's really interesting you say the generational gap because I just turned 29 a few days mm-hmm. ago. And Happy birthday. Thank you. And I think about, like, I'm so glad that I was born in the time I was born because any time before that, I might have been institutionalized. Mm. Because people with disabilities were treated like crap. Truthfully, so uh. if I could take, if I could inspire somebody just by using this content and using this pop culture that I love and teaching them something about inclusion in the process, then I've done my job because we need more voices, more unique voices and more representation in the space yeah yeah absolutely i i you know i had a i had an unusual public school experience with um disability inclusion because we had this family uh i i grew up a few blocks away and we all went to school together with this family that had 21 adopted special needs kids and um, a lot of them were right around my age, I and mean, in my grade, and the grade above, and the grade below, and and it, it was so. Do, do you know about the Debolt family? No, I don't. Um, they did a. There was a documentary about them called Nineteen Steps Up the Mountain," but because they had nineteen kids at that point, they wound up with twenty-one. But um, they're all my age now. They're all those kids are in their fifties. Um, but uh, it, it it didn't. It, you know, our, our whole, our whole school was set up and full, full of these kids. And, and it, it, it was, it was mainstream. There was nothing different. There was nothing separated. There was nothing unusual about it. Um, and that was, uh, uh, now I realize. I mean, I only realized much later that not every school was like that. So, um, yeah. it's, uh, I, I can't imagine what it would, be like for you know you you were you were probably alone in your school my public school experience was super strange 
And I and I know this conversation is about your work, but because we got here, I'd like to share more about that if you're okay. Sure, yeah, tell me about it. When I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy at the age of two, mm-hmm. my my mom got me at home like physical therapy and occupational therapy and all the things I needed to kind of get the ball rolling with, you know, fine motor skills and that whole bit. And then when I was three, I went to a school just for kids with cerebral palsy. Mm. And while I'm grateful that I was seen and heard and represented, if I had stayed, I was there from when I was three to when I was six years old. Okay. And if I had stayed there, I would have been so sheltered. So when I finally went to public school, it was almost like starting over. Like I had never been to school before because I had to explain things now. It wasn't the safe place where everybody knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. So I've had to, you know, adapt and change the way I the way I explain things to people because disability and differences are not taught as often as they should be by most by most people. I agree. Yeah. I I I agree and I think children especially um can be afraid of people who um are 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 different or who sound different or who they feel like they can't communicate with or that they can't relate to and um and so they'll just there'll be avoidance um you know not 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 like afraid that they're going to be harmed in any way but afraid to say or do the wrong thing they don't know they don't know yeah you know but how do you how do you teach and expose other than um i mean you put them on put diverse actors on tv obviously is one way um but what else what else would you see as strong choices there just i mean do, do you feel like um mainstreaming as much as possible or i mean how much of the community and the, the, the cerebral policy is like in special schools like the one you described um set apart i I feel like what needs to happen is this. When people see a disabled person, when a child sees a disabled person on the street, they shouldn't be afraid to ask questions. Mm. And sometimes parents encourage that. Like, oh, don't bother them. Don't do it. No, if you have questions, ask. Create the dialogue. We're happy to answer. I think that's a wonderful invitation that, um, you know, that you can give certainly to, you know, the kids of your, of your neighbors or the kids in your community or the you know kids of your friends, um, you know, and then every single one, you know, it sort of, it spreads out like a, like a tree root from there. Every, every, everyone who has a little bit more understanding will, 
We'll teach the people they come into contact with. And I, just, I mean, for example, a couple months ago, I got engaged. Oh, and, congratulations. And I, my fiance has cerebral palsy, but she's also visually impaired. Mm-hmm. Her One of her eyes is fake, so she can only see it in one eye. And, okay. you know, the stories that she gets of, like, you know, why are you in a wheelchair? But, like, she welcomes the, the questions from the kids and will talk to them at their level, but explain to them what needs to be explained. It's not avoided. It's not pushed to the side. Their questions are valued and heard, and that's what I try to do, too. Maybe that's part of what I was talking about earlier about, uh, you know, what's, what's, what is and isn't polite to just ask about or discuss or, you know, it, it's, uh, and I, I'm actually glad that that's changing, you know, that, that um, you need to be, you know, unafraid to say, tell me what that's like. That's different from my life. I want to know about your life. What's going on? I mean, all I'm like, I bet you this conversation, I bet you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I bet like you're learning a lot because that's what I'm trying to do I'm trying to be a voice for those that may not have one so all that to say the the puzzle place and stuff that was such a good step forward in that world of inclusion so you're a part of it in that (laughs) well I'm 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 proud of that. Then, have you gotten a chance to um, talk to Drew Massey, who played that character? I haven't. No, I haven't. Well, yet. He, he's a good friend of ours. So, um, if you ever want to speak to him, I can give you his number. Hey, you gotta make those connections. Um, mm-hmm. I yeah, I, I really, I really appreciate that candid conversation right now because. People are afraid to have those conversations about about this was a step forward, but what went wrong? What could we have done better? And the fact that you acknowledge that some of it wouldn't work now, that's a a step that some people aren't willing to make. What is okay changes. And um, that's that's one reason that... um, there are so many gray areas in something like um, that really matters to me, which is like the, the me, you know, the me too movement. Um, I, I want to, uh, you know, acknowledge constantly that there were, you know, there were real, real crimes committed and those need to be shown the light and, 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 uh, and, you know, justice needs to happen there. But um, at the same time, condemning some people, the things that were okay at the time, like it, they, they are not okay now, but socially acceptable at the time to condemn and ruin careers and ruin lives over that today, um, you know, gets into a, a, a slippery situation. So I say that only as an illustration of the fact that what is, what is okay changes very, very much over time. And um, yeah, and some of the things that were 
discussed or said into a certain way or even certain language that was used in the puzzle place wouldn't be okay now, but it was really important that, and it was um, kind of groundbreaking then. Yeah. So, Um, so, so a lot of your work has played an important part in my comedic sensibility. (laughs) And I want to talk to you. A lot, a little bit about those. Um, a couple days ago, I spoke to the great Joey Mazzarino. Ah, love that guy. And we had a wonderful talk about a production, uh, Kermit Swampiered. Oh, yeah. That was such a fun little movie. What do you remember you're working on that in Florida? Uh, well, that was, um, it was a strange time because we shot it right after 9-11. Um, so I always, my memories of that production are sort of tied into a very strange time in our, in our nation's history. <laughs> and, um, but it was a time, it was really the first chance that I had to work very closely um, with Bill Beretta. I'd worked on um, Muppets for Space before that. Um, with Bill, uh, but he was, you know, it, it wasn't, it was a, that was a much larger production than he was, you know, he was busy a lot of the time and it wasn't really a, a you know, a close knit little family project the way that Swampiers was. Um, and it was just, uh, you know, getting to, getting to work with him really led to, um, you know, at, at that time, I was really uh, trying to decide, you know, the character that I got to do, the dog was much more, um, uh, much more creature shoppy, much more, you know, had a slight bit more realism than the, that than all the an amazing That's an amazing puppet. I love that puppet. Yeah. I love, um, uh, yeah, I really, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, was was trying to do the one that I mean it matched a matched a real dog, so it had to have that same kind of action and movement to it. Um, it's uh, and 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 so that whole experience taught me a couple of things. It actually really pushed me toward Los Angeles that one little period of time. One because I wanted to work, I decided I wanted to work more with Bill, and he was you know based in. Los Angeles had done dinosaurs and was working on the Muppet things and so on that were happening in LA. Um, I'm from California originally. And um, so coming back here, I kind of wanted to do the creature shop was out here and um, that more realistic uh, animation style was something I was really interested in. And um, they were doing a lot of animatronics movies right then um sort of rolling into things like country bears and so on oh um and uh and then you know new york had just experienced this big trauma um and i i I really liked working on sesame street but it also felt a little bit competitive to me like there wasn't quite enough to go around and and um you know, like every single day you went in, you were auditioning, you know, every week you were auditioning for the following week. And it was just a little bit of an uncomfortable feeling for me. Um, and, uh, you know, so for all those reasons, that Kermit Swamp year, personally, for me personally, just 
really helped me make the decision that it was time to leave New York and go to Los Angeles. Yeah, I was talking to Joey about this, really. I don't even know if you remember this. If you do, great. But there was this bonus feature on the DVD of Joey as an armadillo. Uh-huh. Like, interviewing people on the set. And he created this character named Joe the Armadillo. And he started calling every everybody on the set Joe. And he had, like, this... His whole bit was... He's an extra in the movie, but he thinks he's a big star because he's got a scene in the pet store moment in the film. And it's (laughs) the most... It's stupid in comparison, but stupid in the best way. And he was like, I can't believe you know and or care about that. But (laughs) But that movie is so fun and kind of a little hidden gem. I always th- I it was one of my favorite things too. Oh, you you like you like the uh, you like the offbeat ones. I I like that. And yes, stupid is good. Stupid is always what stupid we're doing. Stupid is great. For. Yeah, stupid's the best. Um, yeah, we have a. Uh, we have something really stupid going on on Globstagram right now. We're doing a little game called Fork Tag where we just make little puppet videos. Like Trust 30. me, I know. Oh, you know. Okay. Yeah. I know. Well, I, I mean, it's I mean, wonderful. I just made the stupidest one I could. It's I wonderful. Like, what can we do that's super stupid? <laughs> so um, that that's, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, even though I, I like the, I like the creaturey fantasy, dark crystal-y stuff. There's not, there's not quite enough stupid in that. You gotta do a departure and just do something dumb now and again. Yeah. So, if you were to pitch your your own ideal puppet project, what elements would you like to see? Um, I would like to see. Um, Detailed creature shoppy type characters, um, living, you know, living, living real lives in a real community, and and uh, having some music involved, and so on. I don't know. I realize I'm describing Emmett Otter, um, but uh, you know, maybe even a little bit more creature shoppy, realistic, um, and uh, you know, having having something. Um, I mean, I really love music and production numbers and so on, and I really love uh, the the creature shop animatronics detailed stuff. And uh, maybe the big walkarounds like Country Bears are, um, you know, that might be too large a scale. But if you now can... about that, I love that movie. I love that movie so much. Oh, I'm and so I, glad. And I know that it, that was a difficult production. For a lot of people, but I had a good time. I loved it. I, but the, I just love. I, I saw that movie in theaters. Like it was so. It was so instrumental into my growing up. That film. Mm, I enjoyed. I enjoyed making it. Um, 
but yeah, maybe, I mean, some, sometimes, yeah, if you string together country bears and Emmett Otter and the whole, um, uh, a lot of those things at Disneyland, like, again, I was telling Peter about something that, uh, prior to the carousel of progress at Disneyland, they had a thing called America Sings, which was just, um, animatronic animals doing American folk music. And I just loved it. <laughs> just, I just, I, I, I love woodland creatures singing and dancing. I don't know. Um, it's, um, you know, so that would, that would be, you know, if I could, if I could make, uh, Oh brother, where art thou with an all animal cast or something like that. Uh, <laughs> that, that this is my pitch. Well, so. I will. I will put it into the hands of the powers that be. <laughs> and we'll see where we end up. Yeah. Well, I mean, doing, um, doing the live Muppet shows was kind of, oh, kind of my goodness. fun that way because you're doing all the musical numbers and the singing and the dancing. Um, but then also getting the feel from an audience. Oh, so good. Um, yeah. I don't know. All, I mean, I'm just sort of throwing out all of my favorite things without stringing them together. The more random, the better. And if, yeah. it, turns, if it turns into something, we know that we manifested it. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. It's a carousel of progress into a live animal song and dance. It's kind of what it was, but with the new technology that they've got. Oh, yeah. There it is. That's what I want to do. Yep. So I have to congratulate you on your on your wedding. Thank you very much. That was on uh, July third of this year, and we are um, yeah, we're super happy. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I am. Oh, go right ahead. Do you have an embarrassing Peter story you could share with us? <laughs> I'm only doing that because I know him, and he's a dear friend. <laughs> yeah. Um. Gosh. Uh. You know, we we we've we've spent so we've spent our entire adult lives being very very close friends, and um, on on locations here and there, and running around, we just travel well together and hang out well together. Like we were we were friends and just friends, seriously, hundred percent friends only for twenty eight years, and um, working together on all on a lot of things. So so you know, like like. Like I am with any member of this puppet community, there are great memories and and fun memories. Um, I think uh, watching him drive the director's Porsche a little too fast around the back lot at Universal, that kind of thing. Um, those are those are fun memories. Uh, Classic Peter. Classic mm -hmm. Peter. One of my favorite Peter stories involves you actually too. So yeah. I. Uh, when I got engaged, I texted him, and I was like, "Hey, you want to see the you want to see the video, the proposal?" And he's like, "Uh, duh." So he, so I guess you and him watch together, and you guys are just bawling your eyes out. <laughs> yeah, he showed it to me. He does cry easy, but it just made me feel like you guys. I mean, I'm just meeting you today, but I feel like we've known each other because of the connection. Oh, well, I've been hearing about you for years. I'm not, I've been doing this show for almost 14 years, and I'm so grateful that you're able to, we were able to chat today. Oh, yeah, it was, it's, it's, uh, it's my pleasure. I mean, 
you know, there are a lot of people doing doing shows and blogs and podcasts and little things out there. And um, when Peter was Peter was he said, "Oh no, you have to." You have to you have to do this one. Let me let me give him your information on this. And I was like, okay, you say so. And now I see why. So as we wrap up, I kind of want to turn the tables, and want to I want to know because we've been having this conversation and we've been sharing a lot together. Do you have any questions for me about my life or my line of work or what I do? Is there anything that you'd like to know? Well, that could be a very long conversation because other than the fact that, you, that you're that you 29 and you just got engaged and you've been doing the show for 14 years and you live in Long Island and you have cerebral palsy, that's it. That's all I know. So I have a lot. I mean, I would love to hear about all, all kinds, but but let's keep it on theme. Let's, let's uh, because, you know, everyone's life is a wonderful story, but let's stick, let's stick to your theme and tell... Tell me um, what it is about um, specifically specifically Jim Henson's work. You, you know, I mean, there's sort of there's the Jim Henson puppet stuff, and then there's the everything else. And there's yeah. ignoring the everything else for 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 right now, which includes a lot of wonderful stuff that I've enjoyed working on and being a part of. But um, but I think it for for me and probably for you and for most people involved, it kind of begins and ends with the things under the the large tent of Henson originated things. Tell me what what it is that um kind of is most magic about that to you, whether it's the 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 illusion of life or the 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 laughter or the surprise or the, you know, just like whatever kind of words come up. What, what is it that, that is that makes it meaningful to you because it's clearly something that's very meaningful to you. It's very meaningful to me too, but I just want to know what your what your adjectives are about it. What makes it meaningful to me is this. The idea of embra- embracing your differences and it's not as concrete as something like Puzzle Place or Sesame Street or even something like um, Bear in the Big Blue House or one of those things. But it's more or less, you know, this character has, this character looks pretty weird and he, he's, you know, a big bear that walks around with Bobo. You know, it's like everybody is accepting of each other no matter what they are. And yeah. The other thing that I love is that the the humor is so self-aware that it makes it so accessible for children and adults alike. Yeah, it's kind of for everybody, isn't it? Yeah. It's one of the few things out there that's genuinely for everybody. Look at something like Muppet Mayhem, for example. Mm-hmm. Dr. Teeth and the Electrical Mayhem took this random fan in Taji's character and accepted him for who he was, even though he was a crazy fanboy. Yeah. They didn't care. <laughs> nope. They don't care that that lips 
mumbles all the time. Yeah. It's who everyone is. Inclusivity is so important. Whether or not it's on purpose, it's always baked in to the content in some way, shape, or form. And that's my long answer to the question. No, that's a really, really... Uh, it's actually a really concise answer. That, in, that acceptance is baked in. I like that. I've never heard it expressed in quite that way before. And um, it is a question I like to ask people because, you know, we do meet a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people for whom this means a lot. I like to say, why does this mean a lot to you? And then you just, you you just, you just put it in a really, a really terrific little uh, thought, which I will remember. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Where can people connect with you and what are you currently working on that we can check out um well we are still coming off of a long strike um during which i um wasn't doing a whole lot um because you know we weren't supposed to i did of course make a fork movie but um other than that i have been uh you know we did a wedding over the summer but i've been um i used basically this very very slow year to uh to pour a lot of attention into my my son, my only one kid, and he's a high school senior this year. And uh, so I've been trying to soak up a whole lot of that. So that's kind of how I've spent this last this 20, 2023 is getting married and being a mom. Um, and uh, I think I've, I'm actually, you know, the next, the next chapter of, of empty nesting when I'll feel like I can, much e- more easily take big jobs that are out of out of town or out of the country. Um, not that it's really stopped me in the last seventeen years. I've somehow managed to make it work. But um, but uh, yeah, I'm really I'm I'm actually really looking forward to the next chapter of all of this because I'm just gonna say yes to everything and go wherever they send me and stay there all night. Like because you can. Yeah, I mean, like we did when we were just starting out. We would, you know. If we were shooting till 2 a.m., fine, bring it on. <laughs> we, we do. And we sort of, I think that Peter and I are both sort of feeling like we're just about to return to that mode again of, of um, yeah, we'll stay all night. Sure, we'll go to Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Send us, uh, send us on an overnight flight to Tokyo and back again the next day. Yeah, bring it. <laughs> and, you know, we'll go, we'll go there. We'll do that. Well, well one, of the, one of the things I want to happen is, I want to. I want to see the both of you in person. Oh, sure. That that sounds doable. I mean, it's uh, not not like you're uh, not like you're in Reykjavik or something. We're 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 basically neighbors, right? Well, the good thing is, my my fiance lives in California, so I'll be out there within the next year or so. So, splitting time, too. Fantastic. Well, we're we're. We're planning on going back and forth a whole lot. So, well, let's just make that happen. For sure. Thank you so much for this. And I, I've loved our time together. Hey, I know that voice. What's up, dude? Do you, do you, do you see why I love her so much? Do you get yeah. it? <laughs>
How are you? I don't know. Can you see us? You all were having quite the conversation. That was a good one. Oh, yeah. Thanks for lurking. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing some domestic admin in the dining room. I, I couldn't help but hear. So you and I have to record a new conversation just like this, like the more candid stuff. Oh. Would you, would you be up for that? Yeah, I could probably do that. You know what? I'm, I'm actually doing, um, was it Jake's Nostalgia Show uh, on Friday? They're, they are wonderful. They That's are, what I, I hear. I help, I help them out from time to time on their stuff. And uh, they're good people. You'll have fun. I'm looking forward to it. I asked them if I could hijack it. They were like, no. Oh, man. That would have been fun. Yeah. <laughs> Well, all right. Well, I'll I'll leave you to to it. I don't want to I want to muscle in on on my beautiful wife's interviews. This is her time. Oh well, we were just hanging up. Oh well, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Um. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna all get together in person at some point. Yeah. Good deal. I'd love that. Okay. I know. I've, I've known this man for years. I haven't met him in person. I've I've known you for fourteen years. Good grief! Wow. Yeah, so it's inexcusable that we haven't hung out in person. I it, it, it's really a crime if you think. I agreed. I, I heartily agree. Well, we'll have to rectify that situation. Yeah, he's moving out here. Oh, to Los Angeles or to what part of California? Torrance. Torrance. Ah, where's yeah. that? I don't know where it's that is. down the other by the airport. Oh, that's easy enough. Perfect. Okay, I was telling Sydney about that. I was talking to you guys today, and she's like, "You're talking to Whip." <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a song. That's a song. Yeah, but those. Oh, if only I was, re- if only I was recording that, she would freak oh, out. Oh no! And- well, you, well, 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 next time. <laughs> yes. All right, guys. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with us at the DJ Bob Show. If you like this episode, drop us a line at DJ Bob at gmail.com. That's DJ Bob R U N. K-E-L at gmail.com. Let us know what you liked most about this episode and what other guests we should have on the DJ Bob Show. Thanks so much again for hanging out with us. This is Nate Beagle, your humble announcer.